What's up, everyone? This is episode number 261 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My X account is at Wax Museum PC. So today I have a really fun conversation to share with you. And to be honest, it was a bit of a surprise to me the way it all went down. You see, a couple years ago, I had Scott Tarter on the show to talk about the old ABA, the Dropping Dimes Foundation, and his fight for ABA player pensions. Well, about a week ago, I emailed Scott to see if he'd be willing to come back on and catch us up to speed on how all that's going, because a lot of stuff has happened since then. So we set up the Zoom meeting, we're testing everything out, And Scott says, hey, you definitely want to make sure you're recording this one. And the next moment, former ABA pacer Darnell Hillman slid in front of the camera. And like I said, that was obviously a huge surprise for me, one that I'm incredibly thankful for. It's definitely a top five moment for me in the show's history so far. Scott knew I would really enjoy that, and he was kind enough to make it happen. So thanks to Scott, and then obviously thanks to Darnell as well. So you'll be hearing that one here in just a moment. But real quick, some of you have asked for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link. And using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, That's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so joining me today is actually a couple of people, and one of them was uh, a fun surprise here, so I can't wait to share that with you guys. But one of them I've chatted with already on the show on episode 155, where we talked about his quest to help former ABA players get money they need for life's basic necessities. And the other one is a former ABA player, which is very exciting. So a lot has happened over these last two years, and I thought it'd be a good time to revisit that conversation I referenced from episode 155 and get some updates in the process. Uh, So I've got Scott Tarter here, and I've also got Darnell Hillman. How are you guys doing? Did you get any rest since the All-Star break? I've been trying to recover now for a solid week. Uh, every time I think I'm just about getting there, somebody is reaching out for something else involved in the aftermath of the All-Star game. So, But it's been a fun week. been a real good fun week. I'm, I'm right with the, I mean, I mean, we had Atlanta Sports hosted an event uh, Sunday night right after the All-Star game. It was actually a watch party for the players who weren't at the game, the ABA players who weren't at the game. And then it turned into an after party. And uh, boy, these guys... It might be a little bit older, but they stayed until three to two thirty in the morning, and I didn't get out until three. Didn't get to bed until four, so I'm I'm still working on recovering. I think those days are gone for me as far as staying up till two or three. But uh, if there were ABA players there, I think I would make it work. <laughs> yes, I figured you were a little wore out from All Star Weekend, so I tried to give you at least a week before I invited you on here, and, and well, we'll talk you. more oh. about All Star Weekend here shortly. But First, I want to tie up some loose ends from our previous conversation, and I know that's been a little while, so I want to give a quick refresher for 
um, you guys, and then also our listeners at home, because I know Darnell was not in on that conversation. Uh, obviously, he lived a lot of it, though, so won't have to do a lot of catching up there. But uh, we talked a lot about the ABA, which was a rival league to the NBA in the late 60s and early 70s. And I want to be very careful here because, Scott, you kind of guided me last time. I, I used the word merger, which is not a good word. Uh, you, you said, no, no, it's not a merger. So you phrased it as it, it's an expansion, correct? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. So if not to get too far into the weeds, because with my legal background, I can do that. So the, if I was talking to my family, my brother, and uh, we just wanted to drink a beer and talk about in human terms what happened, it would be that the ABA, which started in 1967, right, and had, uh, the NBA had been around since about 1949, at that point, but it, it, the ABA came in as a as a as a rival league, and it brought a whole lot of innovation to the game of basketball. Um, it brought a whole lot of change. It brought a whole lot of integration uh, to basketball. It was directly responsible for a lot of that. Uh, it brought the three point shot. It brought the uh, fast up tempo style of play. The hardship rule that brings players in early uh, before they've graduated from college. It uh, brought the slam dunk competition on All-Star Weekend. So, so many of the things you see today in today's NBA basketball games came directly from the ABA. And the ABA was a, it was a competitor that had it been getting enough uh, play on national TV, had it been getting television contracts back before the internet and before cable TV, uh, it would have been much more than just a rival to the NBA. So what, what ended up happening was the NBA had the TV contracts it knew that it had a serious competitor in the ABA and it had all these amazing athletes in the ABA who were playing this incredible style of basketball, but they were very good business people. David Stern was a lawyer back then representing the NBA and the NBA knew that without television contracts, the ABA was in financial difficulty. And that's why you saw a lot of turnover with ownership of ABA teams and moving of franchises from one city to the, to another, you know, the Pacers were obviously a, a you know, a rock in the ABA with their management and always staying in Indiana. Um, but players within the NBA, sued, Oscar Robertson, in fact, was the lead plaintiff. They sued the NBA to prevent a merger of the teams, right? Because the NBA owners in 1971 were saying, this is awesome, man. These guys are incredible. They're running us out of business. They're getting player salaries to go up. They, they play an awesome style of play. Let's merge and get all their athletes, get all this cool stuff that comes from the ABA. So the, the, the NBA and ABA owners themselves wanted a merger. The players did not. So mm -hmm. Oscar Robertson and some of the other players are saying, no, we don't want this, right? Because then we won't be able to negotiate higher salaries, you know, and and because they like the competition. Um, they The players were successful in keeping the two leagues separated and until 1976 when the ABA was in such financial difficulty that the NBA management uh, and owners knew that it, they didn't have to merge. All they had to do was wait until the league died, um, which it was doing only because of the lack of you know, television revenue. And, uh, and so they went in and, and brokered an expansion deal, which involved the NBA taking the Nets, the Nuggets, the Pacers, and the Spurs from the ABA into the NBA. Um, each of them had to pay $3.2 million, which in 1976 was a huge amount of money. And then the Nets, on top of that, had to pay another $4 million for the right to have Julius Irving on their team and to, to play in New York and be a competitor of the Knicks. The Nets, Nuggets, Pacers, and Spurs, when they came into the, to the NBA in 76, lost 
uh, draft. They didn't get draft rights for years. Um, and so it, 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 far from a merger. Far from right. a merger. And the problem is the that meant the ABA players, since it wasn't an actual merger, came into um, the league as former ABA players on former ABA teams, or they came in in the dispersal draft from the ABA from non-surviving ABA teams and started playing on NBA teams like Artis Gilmore did with the Bulls. And they weren't part of the NBA's pension program. They didn't get healthcare benefits or pensions that would have been coming had this been an actual merger. So the last time we chatted, we talked about your growing interest in basketball, Scott, and how you love the Pacers. Well, Darnell, we obviously we didn't get a chat with you. What did your path to the ABA look like? How did you get your start and how did you wind up with the Indiana Pacers? Well, at the time, uh, I went to San Jose State College out in California. And my start of my junior year, I got drafted into the Army. So I played two years of Army basketball. And as I was coming out of the service, my college class, graduating class, was getting ready for the ABA and NBA draft. Unbeknown to me, both leagues had been watching me. And I finally, I got a notice from the Indiana Pacers that they were interested in me, invited me out, offered me a contract. And at that time, I just learned that I was probably going to go into the NBA draft equally as well, which was two weeks after the ABA. So I asked the Pacers if they'd hold off for the NBA draft. I just wanted to see what was going to happen there. And lo and behold, I got drafted in the first round, number eight, to the NBA uh, Golden State Warriors. Met with the Warriors, showed them the Pacers contract, said if they could match it, probably would get me. They asked for 24 hours. 36 hours later, I called my advisor and said, let's get on the plane and let's come to India. Signed a contract with the Pacers and got back-to-back championships. So very happy about that. Couldn't have made a better choice in my life at all. And you still live in the area. I mean, it's it's affected the rest of your life, essentially. Well, uh, after retiring from basketball, I went back home to California. Okay. There for about, oh, 13, 14 years and decided I wanted to get back involved with basketball. And I knew this would be the place for me to get that start and kickstart and came back here and been heaven ever since. And you're really a great example of, of why the ABA was so important, because without there being a second league, you know, there weren't as many roster spots. There weren't as many contracts that were up uh, that were offered up. This gave you more flexibility. And and um, not only did you have choices, like you said, you made what I believe is the right choice and you indicated is the right choice as well. So now, Scott, you mentioned before that these Pacers players like Darnell were your heroes growing up. And um, you went to school, you became an attorney. I know I'm skipping a large portion of your life here, but eventually some of your legal work opened the door for you to meet some of these former players. And they say never meet your heroes, but I think that this experience has been about everything that you've dreamed of. And it was your friendship with Mel Daniels in particular that inspired the formation of the Dropping Dimes Foundation. Uh, Real quick, is there anything that you want to say about Mel or anything I left out there that you think listeners need to know before we move forward? Man, I think I think Darnell and I could both talk about Mel for hours. He was just such a such a force, um, you know, such a protector when he played uh, such a such a team guy, um, always looking out for his guys. I mean, you know, Darnell can speak to that. But then when I met him, I knew he was a tough guy. I knew he was a rabid rebounder and a you know just a just a tough tough guy and one of my heroes from the Pacers I knew he had three championships 
perennial all-star in the ABA. I knew he could have easily played in the NBA, but what I didn't know until I got a chance to know him as a man later in life was how much of a protector he remained because mm -hmm. he very quickly, as I got to know him through some of Ted Green's films, I was doing some pro bono legal work for some of these amazing films Ted Green was doing on uh, Roger Brown, you know, his film Undefeated. And uh, he did another one on Slick Leonard um, and uh, recently did one on Carl Erskine. Um, but but back then I was doing some of the pro bono work for him on Undefeated. And I got a chance to meet some of these guys. And Mel was one of the first guys I met. And Mel didn't waste much time talking to me about the dis the disrespect in his opinion that the NBA constantly showed to the ABA. And, you know, at first, honestly, because I, I wasn't there. So I was thinking, I don't know, that's just some old, but the more he talked and the more I saw that fire in his eyes, the more I thought, cause he's a very, very smart man. And he's a very, he was a very deep man. And he used to, you know, he wrote poetry, amazing poetry. And he, but he was, you could tell he was so passionate about it for the right reasons. I mean, he wasn't just an athlete who was saying they should have, you know, included my stats. That's the word Mel was. Very, very passionate. Yes. If he saw something that he liked and wanted to be involved with it, you can't believe how strong his passion was. Yeah. And if you would agree to join him, he had the same expectation of you. Yeah. So he was going to put his expectation on you for you to wear that kind of passion. Yeah. Vibe. I can tell you a really quick, funny story. When So this thing got going because Mel was saying, this is it's not right that the NBA uh, doesn't include all these guys in their pension programs. It's not right they don't take care of them from a healthcare standpoint. Um, it's, don't, it's not right that they don't appreciate the you know, what the ABA brought to the NBA, which has really carried it into this multi-billion dollar global industry. All of that made perfect sense. But when I first came to him and I said, hey, I got an idea. We had already talked about starting a charity. And I came to him and I said, what about, uh, and by the way, I, I also at that time had met the co-founder of the Dropping Dimes, um, John Abrams, who's a local eye doctor, eye surgeon, who is, has been a ball boy for the ABA. Um, he, uh, you know, he's still to this day as an eye doctor for the Pacers. And so he and I met through Ted Green and so we, had, he and I had talked about what do we do if we're going to get this charity going, what are we going to call it? And we wanted to call it fans giving back, right? Because we were thinking that's what it is. It'll be, it's our turn, right? You guys entertain right. us. And now it's our turn because we're looking at these guys as heroes and now it's our turn. And Mel, Mel asked me what the name, you know, I, I said, yeah, well, I think we've come up with a name for it. And he's shaking my hand because I had just seen him. And, and he's got this super <laughs> firm handshake. And I said, yeah, we got a perfect name for it, man. We'll call it fans giving back. You know, and he just he's he had, he had been smiling and then he kept staring at me real seriously. And he goes and he and he's squeezing my hand really hard. Like it, like my heart, my hands getting is starting to hurt. And he and he just then he just went to a total like he went from this to this. And he just looked at me and says, Scott, I don't like it at all. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, well, I thought it was kind of catchy. I thought it was, and he said, no, he said, we these the fans don't owe us anything. He said, we had the privilege and the honor of playing for Indiana, playing for Indianapolis, the Pacers, playing for the fans, and no one owes us anything. We got to do what we loved. We got paid for it. It was a huge part of our lives, and I don't want anything at all to do with anything that makes it sound like fans owe us something. I went, done. So it quickly changed the Dropping Dimes Foundation. 
Darnell, do you remember uh, your first encounter with Mel Daniels? Was it prior to the ABA or was it when you uh, linked up in Indiana? Well, actually, while I was still in the service, I was invited out. The Pacers were in the playoffs at the time and they were playing against Utah. So while I was in the service, I came out, met with the team and got a chance to see these guys and then was in the locker room at halftime and heard Slick give them their little talk and then got on the plane and came back. My first encounter, I think, would have been we're in a ball game. Usually Mel and I aren't on the court at the same time, but uh, Mel's in the paint and that's his that's his domain. He guards the paint like it's his life. So a shot went up and Mel went to block the shot and I thought I could get to the shot equally as well. And we collided into each other. And he looked at me and he said, rookie, if you don't stay out of my house, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> so several plays after that, a very similar play occurred. Mel went up to block the shot and he couldn't get to it. And I came in from behind him and went very high over the top of him. And I blocked the shot. And he turned around and looked at me and he said, oh, you got hopped like that. Our next practice, he took me in the paint, showed me how to play in the paint and how to defend the paint. So especially being underweight, playing against guys much bigger than me, uh, I used my ability to jump to uh, help me survive in there. You guys mentioned that Mel was obviously very passionate about a lot of things and even uh, teaching like you talked about there. So everything he went about doing it, there was a purpose behind it. And his his purpose in Scott and in, in reaching out to you and, and working with you, like you said, was that some of these guys that had never been able to log time in the NBA, when it came to any sort of benefits, they were pretty much out of luck. And while dropping dimes has accomplished a lot over the last 10 years, getting these pensions has been your big mission since day one. It felt like things were really close the last time we chatted. Like I said, that was February of 2022. The NBA had already acknowledged that these discussions were taking place. And then finally, in July of 2022, the Board of Governors approved $24.5 million in payments to former ABA players. This was a moment that both of you guys had been waiting for. Do um, and this is for both of you. Do you remember where you were when you found out the news? I remember exactly where I was. Yeah, I have no idea. I couldn't do. <laughs> I mean, I was here. I was here at Atlanta Sports. The you know we were we were here because we had been told in advance by the NBA. We had only been given a few hours advance notice that uh, that there was going to be an announcement made, and that the players' association and the NBA itself were going to go in and fifty fifty co fund this you know, this uh, recognition payment. And uh, they had also told us, because we had asked them to take care of some of the widows. There were 10 widows who were widowed during the two and a half years we were in these conversations with the NBA. So we said, you know, we get that you're not going to pay survivor's benefits. We get that you're not going to pay um, for the players who are no longer alive, but at least for those those players who died during the pendency of these conversations, you should at least take care of those widows. So they put another 500000 um, over over and above what was reported to dropping dimes in order to take care of those widows, which we did. Oh, wow. I'd never even heard that. That's amazing. Now, I've noticed throughout this whole battle, you and, and really your first conversation with me, it, we heard the word pensions a lot. And now every communication that I've seen from the NBA says recognition payments. Is this a, a semantics thing or or is there a reason for the phrasing being so different? 
There's a very specific reason it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so so if it's a pension, then a federal laws come into play. Um, the lawyers who represent the NBA were very cautious about that because if it's a if it's a pension, then you you you're gonna probably owe money to a lot of other people who would have qualified for a pension. So it was very important to the NBA for legal reasons to distinguish between this and say, look, these these ABA players never, you know, worked for us. They never worked for uh, the NBA. This is not, they do not qualify for our pension program and nor have they ever. And so they wanted, it was a very CYA, you know, I get it as an attorney. They just wanted to make sure it was like, we're, we're willing to do this to recognize the influence um, and the assets that came from the ABA and the tremendous contributions of the players. But we're not going to go down the path of having somebody say, oh, well, this is a pension, then you owe pension money to players who died 30 years ago. Okay. I feel a lot better about that then because I, I, I was kind of under the impression that, uh, that they gave some, but maybe not uh, exactly what you were looking for. And I, and I don't think that you got everything that you were fighting for. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We, you know, um, you know, Darnell is very humble about a lot of things. And that's one of the things, you know, that he was super humble about. I mean, there's a group of about 24 players who include Darnell who happened to spend three full seasons or more in the NBA, um, but they also had three or more full seasons in the ABA. So we thought it was only fair and, and reasonable if you're going to recognize the ABA for its contributions to the league, how can you not recognize somebody who put you know, five years into the ABA before he came into the NBA or guys like Matt Calvin, who put seven years in, Louis Dampier with nine mm -hmm. years. Um, you know, uh, uh, James Jones uh, was another guy with six years and Larry Jones. So all these tremendous players who had all this ABA experience and really built their careers. And that includes, by the way, Julius Irving, Artis Gilmore, Rick Barry, Dan Issel, you know, uh, Spencer Haywood. And no, Spencer didn't. He only played one year. But uh, with the exception of Spencer, every other Hall of Famer from the ABA, George Gerb, Ice Gervin, Larry Brown. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys all had three years or more of coaching or playing in the ABA, and they were cut out um, specifically for legal reasons, because that would connect them too much since they had already qualified for an NBA pension. But yeah, I mean, think of a guy like Louis Dampier, for example. Here's a guy who played nine years in the ABA, and then he played three years in the NBA. So he qualified for the minimum NBA pension. But in a really momentous thing here where the NBA is, you know, is really finally recognizing the tremendous contributions of the ABA for non-legal reasons, not because they had to, but you leave these guys out. It just doesn't make sense. So you mentioned Louis Dampier and, and I've only read about the rivalry between the Pacers and the Colonels. I mean, obviously I wish I could have viewed it. Darnell, could you give me your impressions of that rivalry or, or some of your, your memories from that rivalry? Very vicious. I'm just going to give you one word. It could be very vicious. Kentucky's always wanted to beat Indiana in basketball. Me coming from California, this was a story that I often heard, whether it was college, high school, or whatever. Kentucky always wanted to beat Indiana. Well, of course, that rivalry uh, with the Indiana Pacers and the Kentucky Colonels was no less than vicious. <laughs> um, we used to have some real, real great battles, very, very thick and hard. But one of the things about the the league of the ABA, we left all of that animosity on the court but we, because we understood that we were a league trying to survive. So we became like a big, large family. 
But uh, when that ball when that ball went up in the air, there was a lot of cutting and cursing going on, and some great basketball being played, and and not just from one or two players, but from both teams, whether you were a bench player or you were a starter, it was some really very good basketball being played. And you can see some of that out there on uh, YouTube. If you get on YouTube, they've got some of those games being replayed on there. I have, yeah. I've checked out everything I could possibly find, and and I'm always wanting more. I'm, I'm hoping, well, and, and we'll get into the documentary a little bit later here, but I'm hoping to see some clips that were maybe in the archives that I haven't seen yet. So we'll, that's we'll a little that. teaser for later on. Yeah. Um, so it, I've always wondered, you, you mentioned how it was so vicious. And then I see you guys all working together, see you and Neto and, and Louis Dampier and artists and, and Dan Issel. I mean, obviously I, I know you can recognize there's a, a greater goal here, but it is, uh, it is interesting knowing about that rivalry and then now seeing you guys so close together, working together. I love seeing that. Now you mentioned earlier that, the number one goal of the dropping dimes was the pensions or the recognition payments. And so now that that has happened, what does dropping dimes look like moving forward? Well, and that's a really good question. And it is uh, a lot of people, again, will could get the the incorrect impression that because of the, the, the money that came in, the $25 million, that there's no more need any anymore. But Unfortunately, that's not the case at all. Not only were you know this group of 24 players who didn't qualify because of their NBA time, I mean those guys are all well-known uh, players. They did play in the NBA. Um, they're not they're not in need. Um, so that when that was more of a historical um, oversight, as far as I'm concerned, by the NBA um, that didn't need to happen. But there's there are um, another 120 or 130 players left who played in the ABA who didn't get full three full years of play in. So we still have a bunch of guys who did not qualify for the recognition payments. And we also have guys who qualified for the recognition payments who, you know, when you hear it as a lump sum of 25 million, it, it does sound fantastic. Um, but, but it's, it, if you start breaking it down and you say, okay, there are, there are, there are a lot of these players who played only three years in the league, which means they're going to get the equivalent of $400 a month. For each year they played so they're going to get twelve hundred dollars a month that's not that's not life-changing money when you break it down like that and you start saying well what they're going to get is basically a subsidy for their apartment rent mm -hmm. or it's going to get it's going to be enough to pay for their groceries that month you know it's not it's not to look down on it but it's to be pragmatic about it and and understand you know it's one thing to say hey we, we're going to give these guys 25 million it's another thing to look at the numbers and say Wow, I, I know this player. Darnell and I know a lot of guys who need a lot more than twelve hundred dollars a month in yeah. these in these years of their lives. They got healthcare issues. A lot of them are covered by Medicaid because they're under the poverty level. And uh yeah, that twelve hundred a month is super helpful, but not life changing. Okay, I want to interrupt for a moment here to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by the good people over at comc.com, your home for buying, selling, flipping, and grading all the hottest trading cards. And right now they're running an MLB leadoff promo where you can get 30% off all select and elite baseball submissions valid until March 8th. And by the way, this also stacks with the Fresh Pulls program. To learn about this and many other exciting ComC opportunities, head on over to the ComC blog. I'm currently looking at, uh, well, the the ABA ball you see behind me is not one of the Atlanta sports ones. I've got that one over here, what? which you can't <laughs> yeah. see. Well, that that's one of the old 
prop balls there that they used to throw out at the games. Oh, okay. uh, but but I have one of the Lana ones over here on another part of my office. So we talked about that company last time as well. And my audience is, of course, primarily collectors. We talked yeah. about the card set. We talked about a number of things. Um, so we love any sort of basketball merchandise. And I checked the website this weekend. There are still packs of cards up for purchase for anyone that's wondering. And it says a portion of every sale is donated to Dropping Dimes. Scott, I've got to ask, is there anything else on the horizon that you can clue us in on? I know you uh, kind of gave me the uh, privilege of showing off the card set the last time. Yeah. Anything else in the works? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, Darnell is with Lana Sports now, so he's a he's a, a partner in the business, and so we've been we've been talking recently to an organization about expanding the product offerings this year, very specifically to go into apparel. You know, like Darnell, I have on here. I do yeah. like that. And I, I know last time I had one of the Adidas ones on and I found out you guys didn't get any money from that. So I felt kind of bad. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're trying to talk to a couple of apparel companies about, about helping us. Uh, and, and we've got some really neat, cool um, uh, companies that we think will want to work with us. So we'll have the, we'll have some, some, some apparel. We're definitely going to have the basketball and we're going to have two different types of basketballs. One that's will be a lower priced one for everyday use. Because a lot of times we're getting so many people who are buying the ball and it's fantastic, but they're buying a, this com, a high quality composite leather ball and it's great to play with indoors, but it's amazing how many guys are going, I don't, you know, that's, that's yeah, I don't want to use mine. I've got it on the <laughs> shelf over here. It yeah. looks great. So we're going to come out with one that's more of a microfiber and it's really, you know, got nice grip on it. Really easy to play with. We have a basketball court in Lana Sports, so we personally test all these and uh, we'll have a more of an everyday type ball that could be a lower price point. We're also going to have some um, some uh, wall art that is connected to the ABA um, that we'll be coming out with. And then some travel bags that are going to look really cool. Some duffel bags and some travel bags and some basketball bags, all with ABA. Darnell, he mentioned you've got a court there. What does Scott's shot look like? Well, actually, you know, he's got very good technique and form. <laughs> um he, I don't, I think he's embarrassed to talk about the dunks I do because he, you know he is Doctor Dunk, and so I I did steal my my rock the cradle dunk from him, and 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 but I don't think he thinks I get it high enough when I do my reverse on the dunk. <laughs> well, when you got your arms extended this way, he's still trying to get it over the rim. It's a little different than when you got the rim right at shoulder level. Okay, you okay, know, you're fine. picking in, so not to take anything away from you, but. Overall, he's a very, very good basketball player. He's got the good technique, and like I said, he's got the form. So he understands about shooting the ball. And back when we played, you know, we used to shoot the ball and you see all of that hanging in the air. Well, what was going through our mind was think of the glory, man. Just think of the glory. So you shoot glory. that ball, and once it hits it and rattles that rim, oh, yeah. See guys running all the way down the floor with their hands still up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fitting that you you threw in a little dunk analysis there too, because it wasn't too long ago that you were uh, able to help judge the dunk contest. And there were a number of other uh, events, I believe, that you were a part of. And and I saw you on stage with, I, I think, around a dozen uh, former All-Star Pacers. Talk to me a little bit about this past weekend. Was that your first uh, NBA All-Star weekend that you'd been a part of? Uh, no, um, when I um, was a early on, when I first started working with the Pacers, I had a chance to 
go out to the All-Star Game out in San Francisco and attended that one. So this wasn't my first one. But it was very this one was very unique in seeing all the different generations from you know the 70s all the way to current players now. We had members representing all of those different uh decades and watching the guys interact with one another. You know of one another, but you've never had a chance to really talk and chit chat. So before they brought us out there on stage, we're all gathered back there just going bouncing around wall to wall, talking to one another. It was pretty cool and exciting to see. I had all intentions of flying up there and I said, well, you know, I can't get tickets for the game or the dunk contest. And then the moment I saw uh, Rick Smits and Ron Artest putting out posts at the airport, I said, I I've made a huge mistake. Uh, <laughs> I should have been there. So, and, and Lord knows if I have to wait another 40 years for another opportunity, I, I, I probably made a, a really big mistake here, but um <laughs> Kyle, there's one thing I do want to mention to you, and that is that Darnell was just in here last weekend, just before he he um, started attending the All-Star events. He, he did sign uh, for Lana Sports, a limited edition. We did 10 basketballs, 10 Lana Sports ABA basketballs with Darnell signing. Um, did we go with the silver or the gold? I can't remember. Silver. silver. So in silver, Sharpie, um, he did one marked one of 10 through 10 of 10 basketballs are the only ones we're going to do. And we are going to be either selling those or doing those at doing a, a promotion where we say, you know, in, in, we're going to give ran, do random giveaways for people who are buying things at Atlanta sports. And those I'm, I'm kind of mad. I didn't get him to do one just for me. I got, but we, you know, we want to be true to the one through 10. Right. Uh, concept. And these are, these are all, they all say 2024 Indy all-star game, uh, first slam dunk, first NBA slam dunk champ. And of course he's got a beautiful autograph. Well, and, and you mentioned that contest. I missed out on the shirt that you guys made, the bottle shop shirt. I think that one is was a limited release, right? We're, that's true, but we're going to do those again. Okay. I'll have to definitely get in on that. Darnell, do you want to tell that story real quick? I know some people listening have probably heard it, but talk to us a little bit about that dunk contest, if you don't mind. Well, during our uh, summertime, the players that, Pacers players that remain here in town, we uh, formed a softball team. And the bottle shop heard about us and they became our sponsors. So this went on for about two or three years. And then later on, when the dunk contest came up, bottle shop found that found out that I was going to be a, a part of it. They asked me if I'd wear their warm-up during my warm-ups. And I said, sure, not a problem. You guys have really looked out for us doing the summer, so I can put that on the warm-up in. And that's where you saw the shirt at the finals out in uh, Portland. And I didn't realize it was going to be that big of a thing, but people ask me about that right now, especially people here in town that know where the bottle shop store is. And it's been around for quite a while. It's uh, changed hands from the dad to the sons and they've got it up and going. And we, we uh, frequently go by there from time to time, chit chat with the sons. Now, since you were in the contest, we've seen cars, we've seen birthday cupcakes, we've seen a little bit of everything jumping over mascots. I, I understand a little bit why, because there's only so many things you can do. Darnell, do you think we've run out of dunks? Is there much more that can be done at this point? Yes, I think there's a, a tremendous amount that can be done at this point. It's all about your creativity. These guys are bringing these props out here on the floor. You're not never going to see a prop on the floor during an actual ball game. 
but these guys can still do these kind of dunks during their ball game. So this should be the kind of thing that they're creating in their mind and practicing and attempting to do in their dunk contest. I'm not in favor too much of all of the jumping over props and, and individuals. Now, there are some guys out there that can jump over a guy playing defense and he's standing right there in front of him. Um, it's not unheard of. Uh, I had a, uh, a college teammate, people aren't going to believe this, but I had a college teammate by the name of Tommy Smith, 68 Olympics. Okay, I was going to say <laughs> Tommy Smith and John Carlos, right? Yeah, yeah. Took off from top of the key, not the foul line, but from top of the key and threw it down. Oh, wow. That's a, yeah, exactly. That's a good leap. That's almost 21, 22 feet right there in itself. And to be up high enough to still dunk the ball. So it's just about the imagination, creativity of each individual based on what he can do and what he's willing to risk attempting. And can I just jump in here too? Because I just learned this the other day talking to Darnell um, about this. And that is when when the dunk competition first started, Darnell and the other participants were so much more limited because they were only allowed, was it two minutes? Two minutes for five dunks. So if you think about that, you got two minutes for five dunks. If you miss one, you know, D was telling me, you you really, you're in big trouble. Like you're now rushing because to get your six dunks in, in two minutes is going to be really tough because you have to go get the ball. Too, yep. Right. Yep. So these guys today are getting all this time and they can miss a dunk and then they can go back and retry the dunk. And a lot of people, not him and not Dominique Wilkins, were willing <laughs> to still give him a 10, even if they, though they missed the first dunk. And right. he was like, Back when we had to do it, I mean, that's, that might be a more exciting way to do it. Give these guys two minutes and then see what you can do and see if you're willing to take a risk on missing a dunk. I, I do like that. And and thankfully, they've adapted it a little. I think it what was it, 2005 where Birdman, I feel like he missed 20 dunks at yeah. one point. Uh, it, it was rough to watch. And now on the, the highlights, we only see the ones he made. But ooh, I remember watching that on TV. That That was too much. Yep. Now, Scott, you said you were out until two or three or four in the morning. So obviously you had a presence at All-Star Weekend. What all were you doing at All-Star Weekend that kept you up that late? Well, uh, let's see, Thursday night, um, the Retired Players Association and a lot of former ABA players, uh, Tom Hoover, who played for the Denver Rockets. He also played for the Knicks. He came into town and he had asked if uh, Atlanta Sports would be willing to host a uh, an event. And so we decided, yeah, yeah, let's make it a watch parties for the players who can't make it. Uh, so we, uh, he also wanted me to go and accept an award on behalf of some of the former Pacers, including Darnell, because he was busy that night at a different event. So we were at the Madam Walker Theater Thursday night, giving awards to the Pacers and some other some other folks like Mike Epps and and uh, um, Oscar Tshibwe, um, who was there and was a, such a great young man. So that was the Madam Walker Theater event, an All Star Gospel event on Thursday night. And then we put we did this event on Sunday night, but it was kind of last minute. And uh, so we actually had the basketball goal put in specifically for that. It's not leaving, but it, it, it was put in specifically for that. And uh, this place was just crazy. We had an IndyCar, uh, Delara, the manufacturers of IndyCar, brought us an IndyCar to, to put on display with the star livery. And, uh, you know, um, Alan Lewis Consulting is a big is a big uh proponent of dropping dimes foundation and they brought in a 1967 steve mcqueen bullet for atmosphere you know we had all these banners put up this is one of them you see here where the nba and the aba played together in an all-star game uh there were others so the, the place was just crazy memorabilia we had memorabilia everywhere original 
ABA game-worn jerseys, original ABA basketballs, original ABA sneakers. I mean, it was just, it was, it was awesome. Hey, put smiles on all the guys that came in here and got a chance to see this and going back in their minds and remembering when this happened. These guys really enjoyed those moments together, especially when you can share this with another former player that you've been out there on the court battling. And certainly back then you were battling, so you didn't have a great friendship. But now camaraderie has really come in and you see the family atmosphere of the ABA uh, during this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know one of Mel's uh, frustrations was that he didn't feel like the league's heritage was honored quite as much as it should have been. And and the Hardwood Classics Nights, you know, that's just that's one small thing here and there. So I know they had an ABA panel. I believe, Darnell, you were on it at the Legends Breakfast. Uh, other than that, what was there any type of ABA representation or, or do you feel that um, maybe more should have been done or, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think if you came into Indiana, regardless of where you were, you knew this was about ABA, even though it's the NBA's all-star game, but this is started out as an ABA city. So there was a lot of that connection. And certainly the Indiana Pacers at that time, being the strong franchise going into the NBA and coming into play here, I don't think there was any problem with those folks recognizing that this still is a very environment culture taking notice about the ABA years here. And until this franchise wins the NBA championship, I think that's always going to be a big part of it. And it's not us as players, but this is a part of the community. These folks here live and breathe basketball and certainly supported the Pacers back in those days as they are doing now. But it's time for this Indiana group to get another championship. I'm I'm with you. My dad got to see an ABA title. I asked him about the ABA days. I'm ready for the NBA title. We've been watching games together for over 30 years now. So I, I would say it's time. And, and I do think they're on a good trajectory right now. Uh, what do you think of this current squad? Do you like what you see? They're exciting to watch. Um, you know, the I measure it by right after the All-Star game. It's a new season now. We will find out whether or not they're able to hold on to the spot that they have or even move up a little further. But it's going to be crucial that they maintain the style of play that they've had the first half of the season, so especially doing so well in that intramural tournament that they had this year. They finished second. So there's a lot of fans having expectations of them making it to the playoffs and getting in maybe first or second round and doing something. Now, as time goes on, chemistry, you know, we keep moving players around and you lose a little chemistry. But if you can get guys together and keep them together for more than a year, possibly two, and they really build that chemistry, I think they've got the nucleus of a pretty successful squad here and can possibly bring that championship on that you're speaking of. We'll need a lot of luck and breaks, but it's possible. Right. Well, and, and we're recording this on a Monday. Last night, they beat Dallas pretty convincingly and Dallas had won seven straight. I feel like, and I've watched every game this season. I feel like it was the most complete win team win they've had all season. So I, I'm very excited where things are going. Well, I like that. And especially when um, they beat Dallas very well, but by 20 points or more, you know, they, they really struck it out. And as I said earlier, I start to measure the team after the all-star break I'll give them three or four games. And if they're on a winning side in those three to four games, 
after the All-Star break, I think they've got a good chance of momentum carrying them into the playoffs. So they look to be out of the gates pretty good. Let's hopefully, hopefully they can stay healthy, no injuries, and keep building on the chemistry that we've been watching right now. That's right. I, hopefully they beat Toronto tonight. They have a tendency to play to the level of the competition sometimes. Oh, now, <laughs> anyone that watches them in, in any of these games that we're referencing, they'll see now that uh, the Pacers have a, a black memorial band on the jerseys with the number 30 on it. And that is, of course, a tribute to George McGinnis. And um, I've met a few ABA players. Darnell, I got a picture with you real quick. It was like seven years ago, but I know I, I was uh, you were busy doing something. And I'm like, Darnell, I got to get a picture. I'm sorry. Uh, so I've, I've met a few of the ABA guys. I never got to meet or talk to George. Um, do you, uh, you came into the ABA at the same time as George McGinnis. Do you have any George memories that just really stick out to you? I know there are probably so many. Yeah. I, uh, the one that really comes to mind most is um, we were in a basketball game. And at that time, Shoes didn't last very long, and George was coming down the floor out near the uh, baseline, and he made a cut, and his entire foot came through the sole of the shoe, and the shoe came up over his ankle. That's how hard the cut was, and then as he went into the finish the uh, the goal, he went on to finish the goal, and then they had to find out, had to stop play so he could get that shoe off of his foot and get him another shoe back on there so he could keep playing. But George was a specimen when he came in the league. Um, about 275, strongest any of our big men, faster than all of our guards, and could outplay all, our forwards. So when we look at LeBron James, George was our LeBron James back in the ABA day. Just had the body and physique and could do it all and play both ends of the floor. So tremendous athlete. Would would that have been David Craig scrambling to try and find another shoe for for Georgia? Ah, you, you pretty much hit it. Or David's hollering at a ball boy, get back there in that locker room and bring some more shoes out here. <laughs> now, Scott, you met. Um, well, I I don't know. Maybe you did meet George during the his basketball career. Um, what was uh, your first interaction with him, and and what's a a good memory you have of George McGinnis? Um, that was easy for me because I, I never met him. Um, unlike Darnell, I mean, this is a, I'm not sure we've ever told the story publicly before, but but Darnell and I first met when I was 10. And uh, uh, I went to the old Washington Square Mall where uh, Dee was in the service. He had he had been in the service. He played it in, on an outstanding uh, team uh, overseas for the service uh, for the Army, uh, played with Bill Walton. Uh, and uh, really showed show Bill Walton how to play coming out of high school. But uh, but anyway, the back then, I was a huge Pacer fan. I was 10. I loved the ABA, and I heard that my guy was Darnell. It wasn't Roger. It wasn't George. It wasn't Mel. <laughs> my guy, it wasn't Billy Keller. My guy was Darnell and his big afro and his and his wicked dunks and his smooth coolness. And so I just wanted to be him, you know. So I uh, And I hated Julius Irving because he played for the bad guys. And uh, he was just like Julius Irving. He just he just played for the good guys. So I went out to to um, Washington Square Mall to get an autograph because he was doing an autograph for for the uh, to promote the army for recruiting. And uh, I told that story to him after we became friends, you know, through dropping dimes. And I'm not sure he totally believed me because he's probably heard that a million times. And I said, man, I, you were my favorite player. I'm going to prove it because I'm going to bring you the only autograph I have original from back in those days. And it's that because I kept it. 
And I did, didn't I? Yep, I came back in this did. yellowed sheet yep. of paper <laughs> with him dunking it and, you know, with the autograph on it. And I asked him to autograph it now because the other autograph was so faded. But so I, I knew him from a long time. George, I never met in his playing days. I only met him through the Dropping Diamonds Foundation. And one of the very first things George did after Mel introduced us and Mel told him that John and I were getting the Dropping Diamonds Foundation started is that man, you know, within... A year of that, I mean, he he joined the advisory board immediately, um, invited me over to his house to enjoy some of his beautiful wife, Linda's cooking, which was unreal, and asked all he did was talk about what he could do for us. I remember watching a neighbor of his come in who needed some help, and he dropped everything he was doing to help his neighbor. Um, I remember him. Uh, I mentioned a few months after that that I, you know, that I was, um, I thought that was amazing that it took the NBA so long or the Naismith Hall of Fame guy so long to put him in the Hall of Fame, but that I, and he invited me to join his family to go to the Naismith Hall of Fame to watch his induction. And like, you know, he just was so humble, so kind, so nice, so genuine. It, it just blew my mind. Well, I've, I've told a story on here before. I, I never, like I said, I never got to meet George. I did get to meet Hubie Brown once and I kind of had to, it, there was some creative maneuvering to get around an usher at a basketball game so I could get to him. <laughs> but I, I said, and this was before George had made the hall of fame. So I knew I had one question and I, of course I wanted it to be Pacers related. So I said, Hubie, when is George McGinnis getting into the hall of fame? And he said, look, I'll tell you what, if I want to win one game, I'll take Julius Irving. If I want to win a series, I'm taking George McGinnis. And uh, that to me said all I needed to know, you know, because I, I, I'm, I'm left reading and and just watching clips here and there online, but to hear it from the people that were there, uh, that tells me what kind of player he was. And then to hear you guys tell me what kind of a person he was as well is is just so special. Now, as we wind things down today, I want to talk about one more major project that you guys are involved with that we've teased here already. And this was about a year and a half ago, it was announced that there's going to be an Amazon docuseries focusing on the ABA. And Scott, it looks like from what I read, you're an associate producer of the project. Is that correct? Yes, that's that's true. Okay. So we've seen different ABA pieces before, be it the 30 for 30s or the Ted Green films that you've talked about earlier. But as far as I know, I've never seen a, a full series like this. What can you tell me about this project so far? Uh, well, a HBO did one um, called, was it called Long Shots? Um, I can't remember now. I, I, that's right. I have, I think that's like an eight parter on YouTube. I have seen parts of that. Okay. And I think in real life back in the day when it was, when we just had cable, it was, uh, it was um, like, two, it was like an, maybe an hour long or two hours long. It wasn't that long. It was a documentary mm -hmm. and it didn't go into a lot of the history. And um, it's still it's still around, like you say, on YouTube. But it's it's this is the this is going to be sort of the quintessential story of the ABA. It's called Soul Power, the Legend of the American Basketball Association. And uh, um, uh, Kenan Kamwala is the director, and he is a really talented young man. And Julius Irving is an executive producer, and George Carl is an executive producer. Um, a guy named uh, Brett Goldberg is also an executive producer and Todd Lieberman, who's done a ton of stuff out in Los Angeles. And they've really they did an unbelievable job. They brought me in to do give them some history um, and to maybe help them out with some storyboarding, which was an opportunity of a lifetime for a kid from the east side of Indy. Uh, but I've seen now all four of the episodes of four parts uh, series. I saw them, you know, in their editing stages. 
when there were still watermarks on the, the video footage. Um, but these guys got a hold of a group that had vault footage of the ABA games in color that I no one I know had ever seen before. And they were able to negotiate with both those guys and the NBA to to show this footage and it will blow you away. It will absolutely blow you away. If you like basketball history and you like the ABA, you're just not going to believe this footage. I, I had read, and this was probably 10 or 15 years ago, uh, someone had said that, and I think it was HBO, had a lot of really high quality footage that wasn't available for the public. And I, I thought, uh, you're killing me. I've, I've got to see some sort of a project that uses this footage. So looks like we might be getting some of that footage from wherever it came from. And Darnell, I'm, I'm guessing that they set you down and, and talked with you for a while too, right? Oh, yeah. In this footage that you're talking about, now you're going to get the you're going to get the vision of the ball players interpretation of what's happening. And I think that's going to be the very special, unusual part that you haven't seen in further or earlier documentaries. Now you're getting the, the player gets involved in what you're seeing on the screen and he can tell you the story. And he may even go back to that very moment and say, I remember that exact play and this is what's going to happen right here. And sure enough, there it is. And it happened. So the players really had a good time being able to tell the story from their perspective. And, you know, certainly um, some of us don't always get a chance to be in the starlight and get all of the attention that your star players, but that's different in this. Everyone has a chance to say his part and the way that he feels from his heart. So I'm really looking forward to when they release this. Scott, do we know a release date on this yet? Uh, it's all up in the air. This is also new to me, you know, how streaming services work now and how these platforms work because they have so much content that they try to feed it in through metrics into whatever works for them. So we had at first been told that it was likely to be this all-star weekend and then it got changed to next summer. And now we're being told we can't commit to next summer. It might be next summer or the fall, but it's, uh, it's exciting because I think Amazon knows this is going to be a very popular series. And uh, they were very supportive of the players. They made sure, I mean, part of our agreement to, to, to get involved from the beginning was to make sure that rather than paying us, make sure the players received a stipend, you know, because obviously guys like Julius Irving and Ice Gerb and Artis Gilmore, those guys, Rick Barry, those guys are all able to, to, to navigate those waters. But we wanted to make sure the guys who were going to get, give them gold, you mm -hmm. know, players who don't have names, uh, you know, that are recognized today, that they got taken care of. And so Amazon did that. And so that's another thing I think we're yeah. really proud of is, uh, is that every guy who, every player who, who appears in there and some of the guys who, you know, like I, I can tell you this, wait till you see Joe Hamilton. Joe okay. Hamilton. Oh my God. <laughs> you can see his, you can see his trading cards out there, but he is going to be a, a star. He's going to be a star yeah. just by being him. Joe is is one guy that was always very generous through the mail, and and Darnell, you've always been generous as well. I've I've probably sent cards to you three or four times over the years, and and you've always signed them for me. So I'm I'm very appreciative of that. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to keep my Amazon Video subscription here for a while, then, because I'm definitely not <laughs> used to on this. <laughs> At least till you buy it, yeah, you gotta go. right. All right. Well, I know you guys are both very busy and, and I do respect your time here. So um, we're going to close things out. But before we go, I want to give you the opportunity to plug any, if you've got social media handles, anything you're working on uh, or any projects that maybe you want to highlight again, these next few moments here are yours. 
Well, thank you very much. I will say my son has uh, joined me in the business. And so uh, he left a, a really nice position um, to do this because he believes in the cause so much. And he's in, and he's going to hate me if when he sees this, because I don't know what the handles are. I know we're on I know we're on uh, on Instagram. <laughs> I think it's Lana Sports Group, Lana Sports Group on Instagram. He posts some really cool content on there. In fact, you can you can see the actual footage of Darnell winning the 1977 slam dunk competition in his bottle shop shirt uh, is, is on our Instagram account. There's also uh, on Twitter or X as it's now called, we have, uh, we have, I think it's Atlanta sports on our Twitter account. Uh, we have a Facebook page um, as well. And we are, we do have a lot of these signed basketballs that we'll be coming out with from time to time. Some really unusual ones, some unusual players because the players stop by our warehouse a lot. And when they're here, we always, ask them to sign basketball. So we will be coming out with that. We'll probably be coming out with a commemorative um, trading card set around the time of the release of the series. And then, yeah, watch out for that apparel too. But our social media can be fun. All right. Well, I'm, and I'm definitely following and I'll make sure, uh, I think you got them all right, but if you didn't, I'll, I'll go back and I'll make sure we get those posted. <laughs> Thank you. So thanks again, guys. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks. Kyle, take it easy. All right, well, there you have it. Like I said, the addition of Darnell was a huge surprise for me and one that I hope you guys enjoyed as well. Scott and Darnell are obviously, as you heard here, doing a lot to help former ABA players. They mentioned some of their social media handles there at the end. And then Dropping Dimes and Lana Sports, of course, have websites as well. So make sure you check those out too. And I plan to post about some of these initiatives as well. So be on the watch for those on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast or X under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is a Wax Museum Podcast.